Hello, hello, hello. I am your Florence Nightingale, hostess with the most is Michael Munoz. And welcome to In Yo Mouth! In Yo Mouth. I'm the queen of food who's always in the mood to lick it right, lick it good, show you how to Oh, God, that's good. I want to know what you eat from the streets to the sheets. So open wide, honey. I'm coming. In Yo Mouth. Goosebumps. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Luxe mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey there and welcome back, folks. Once again, I am your hostess with the most is Munoz. And how y'all doing? Folks, we are on the heels of a parade, honey. It is the end of May and it is stunning in New York City. But I have a complaint. I have a complaint really quick. I need to get on a soapbox and then I'm going to quickly get off this soapbox. I know it is a privilege and an honor to be able to afford and live not only in Manhattan, but in the center of Manhattan in 120 square feet in Times Square. But you have often heard me complain about them building a high rise across the street that's going to take forever. And the construction starts at like 6, 37 o'clock in the morning. But if that wasn't already enough noise addition to an already noisy neighborhood, there's also more construction down on the street underneath me. So when one jackhammer ends, another starts. And now there's some sort of drilling happening somewhere else. I, I feel like I'm going to get no sleep this summer. But I guess I'm the one to blame because I chose to live in the center of Manhattan. Whatever, whatever. I just needed to get it off my chest because it's really weighing on me today because it's a a lot of noise. And you can only imagine, like, just the the non-sleep of it all. But things that are bringing me joy this week besides today's fabulous guest. uh, Folks, if you haven't gotten into the Pride merch, get into it. My best gal pal Justin and my brother Caesar helped me design some really fun Pride merch, but the best part about the Pride merch and all the merch that's on the website is that all proceeds uh, from, if you purchase anything during the months of May, 
June and July are going to be donated to the Ali Fournay Center here in New York City. The Ali Fournay Center is a place to protect homeless, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and questioning youths from the harms of homelessness and empower them with the tools needed to be independent. They do a lot of great work, and I've been figuring out, or I've been trying to figure out a way to give back to the community that I love so much. And this, I thought, was a great idea. And plus, you get, like, some cute merch on top of it. So go check that out at themunoz.com forward slash mouth merch and help me give back. You know, why not? Um, Especially since our rights are being questioned and challenged on the daily. Why not, you know, support support the gays, right? And support the LGBT homeless youth. And that's it for that's it for the intro of this podcast today because I want to get to the getting on because today I am really, really excited for today's guest. I have deep dove into all the things in this person's life. So without further ado, please help me welcome the one, the only John DeBerry. Say hi. Hi. Wow, that's quite a <laughs> quite an intro. Oh, well, you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. I have had, obviously, had my coffee this morning. (laughs) (laughs) And you seem a little, a little subdued. Uh, Shall this be an ASMR podcast kind of day? Well, I I always get like really like breathy when I talk into my mic. It just feels very reverent. Like I got to talk. Listen, I, I will pull up a sh- I will pull up a shirtless picture and and, and live for this vibe of you. <laughs> we can do this today, John. Yeah. <laughs> well, first and foremost, thank you so much of giving me of your time, giving me some time out of your very very busy schedule. It is an honor to have you here. I can't thank you enough. But John, before we get to the getting on, I need to do what I do. And in the grand tradition of In Yo Mouth, I need to wish you happy National Brown Bagot Day. This is Brown National Bagot. Yeah, Brown Bagot Day. Like, I'm assuming put things in a brown bag. Do, do like, hmm. kids still take lunch to school in brown bags? Is that a thing? Yeah, I'm trying to think, like, what industry PR firm lobbied the government to make it this? Like, is it the brown paper bag industry? Is it Lunchables? Maybe. Not a sponsor. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean... Baloney's behind this. Yes, you know. Uh, you know, Go- Golda Meir's younger brother, Oscar, is, like, fully behind this whole thing. Um, was that a stretch? <laughs> no. Um, you know, Jimbo, the uh, Jimbo, the baloney drag queen is behind this. I don't know. Did you take brown bags to school? We took brown bags I to think school I did. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we had, they them. were like uh, little, they, they were little, um, like wax paper bags. I don't think uh, I had a whole bag that encompassed everything. I think it was just like individual things like in my bag, like my backpack or something. Oh, like no, uh, we had lunch boxes for sure at some point. I but think I, I had do lunch remember. Too. I I do remember a brown bag moment here or there, like if we were on the go and it needed to be quick and it wasn't a whole production. It was like, here is your ham and cheese sandwich. Have at it, you know. Did your Did you have a favorite school lunch? I mean, I I, I guess this is where brown bag it day brown bag it days go, right? Yeah. Um... 
my school lunch. I, I was like a, I was like a, um, my most like salient school lunch memory is like the fact that I used to get like a, I had like a, I don't think we were allowed to like bring lunch to the school that we, that I went to for most of my elementary school years. Um, it was all like <clears throat> cafeteria stuff. And you, I, I remember getting like an individual fork for each item. Like I didn't think you could like share forks across like, if you had like peas and then like something else, like I had to get a separate fork for each one. And I, oh, and she and was yeah. So it was, I think that the, the, the dishwashers didn't like me. Because uh, I had like seven <laughs> I'm, on my tray. I, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> imagining little John at the lunch table with an entire like royal Eng- English like place <laughs> setting, you know, fourteen <laughs> forks and like no, it was one of those trays knives. that had like the had like the the divots in it for everything, and they're like off to the yeah. side. There was like the long, the long one that spanned the, the the depth of the tray that I think had like six forks in it, and I just yeah. thought that was like what you're supposed to do. <laughs> I love that. I love that visual. I love that for you. <laughs> well, you're in luck, right? And I guess this is very uh, on brand because it's a double day today. It's also National Wine Day. Mm. No, I mean, yeah. as as a big as a big mixologist, does wine not fit into the bow? Into oh, the... wine definitely fits in, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like. I feel like I would have gotten more PR pitches for National Wine Day by now, but I, I don't think I actually have. Um, huh. So I guess I that's mean, good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it is. Ro- we are now. we are well into rosé season, right? You know, True. like like white girl Murray Hill rosé all day <laughs> season. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. This, I think, this was a flop of a of a national food day for sure. Because I and I'm still waiting to meet the person who actually created all of these things at Foodimentary. But um, you know what? No matter what you celebrate, whether it's Brown Baguette Day, National Wine Day, or or fried bologna, we celebrate you <laughs> this <laughs> this day. <laughs> and moving right along into this day in gay history. Folks, we are on the heels of Pride. You know, June celebrates uh, Mark's Pride Month all across America and in a bunch of cities across the world. But, John, did you know that in 1913, Colonel Alfred Redl, former chief of Austrian counterintelligence, commits suicide when it becomes known that he has been blackmailed on account of his homosexuality into working for the Russians for the past year. Later in the century, the Red the Reddell affair will be cited by the US senators as evidence of the security risk homosexuals pose. Wow, that's dark. Isn't it? Yeah. I mean there's a well we have a lot of dark history, right? And yeah, a lot of people true. trying to tear us down. Uh you know, sometimes it's fun and sometimes it's this, you know. <laughs> I mean, on the upside, in 1978, more than 15,000 gay men and lesbians attend a special gay night at Disneyland to benefit the Los Angeles Gay Community Services Center. It's oh, the largest nice. private the party. One? Don't they what? have a gay Part- days now? Don't, doesn't Disney have like a whole gay days? Yes, but it, it's it's all controversial because they donated all that money to right. all these like terrible things and terrible politicians. And then they're like, oh, sorry, we did that. Now we're... 
Now we don't want to do that anymore. It's like, wait, what? They're hedging their bets. What? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> listen, especially during Pride Month, but, you know, this podcast celebrates Pride 365 days of the year. And, you know, with everything going on in the world, especially with our rights being challenged on the daily, you know, keeping our history alive is more important than ever. And going back to the Pride merch, one of the right shameless plug but like the money's going someplace good one of the main things that um uh made me do it is that i am forever saying that our stories matter here on the podcast because we never know who's listening and who it can affect and that's one of the things that's on the pride merch and this is kind of why i do this too you know to keep our history alive and well but i want to get to the getting on and in your mouth listeners if you don't know and you probably already do john deberry is a bar expert and author with over a decade of experience in New York City. He is the creator of Proto, a line of zero-proof botanical drinks, as well as a co-founder of Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, which is dedicated to supporting structural solutions to the quality of life crisis facing restaurant workers. John is also the author of Drink What You Want, the subjective guide to making objectively delicious cocktails. He's a freelance journalist and is Food 52's first resident drink expert. Welcome. Welcome. Such a resume. John, I want to start at the way we kind of met via the Twitters Mm -hmm. and over this charcoal in cocktails drink that really set (laughs) um, cocktail gay Twitter ablaze, like food Twitter ablaze, which I thought was a weird and very funny way to kind of discover you and get really into like talking with you. Um, uh, Charcoal in drinks, like why? Why Why do we need? I'm always so amused by my Twitter life is like things I think are going to be like huge hits just like die and then I have I fire off some like unhinged thing in like the waiting room of the vet and it goes like multi-platinum and that was one of them (laughs) where I just never think I just like this is just a throwaway comment that's not going to go anywhere and then like I'm in like a BuzzFeed roundup you know it's really funny uh Well, the funny thing about it was you were talking about it and I was getting all those same PR emails that everybody talking about it was getting. I was like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like like maybe 2010, you could get away with charcoal in your cocktails, but knowing what we know now, it's pretty pretty horrific. Um, and just like really, I mean, I don't know. I've, to me, I I, I, I don't want to say it's unnecessary because the way that drink, a drink looks is really is almost as important as the way that it tastes, um, especially in our like visual social media age. Uh, but but g- getting there using uh, activated charcoal, which can wreak all kinds of havoc on the inside of people, is is not it. Not the move. Yeah, uh, I I, fully, <laughs> I mean, I fully agree. I mean, so like, let's say it's just not it, right? No. <laughs> uh, when and how did this cocktail journey start for you? Like, you are the cocktail queen. Uh, I've I guess so, I've noticed yeah. throughout throughout the uh, throughout the internet. 
Uh, well, I, hmm. I mean, it's like how far back do you want to go? I mean, like sort of more acutely, I, mean, I, I got I got my first job bartending uh, in 2008. Yeah, 2008. Um, I just like was sort of randomly thrashing around for someone to hire me. And one of my good friends from college was part of the opening bar team uh, for PDT, uh, which is a little speakeasy kind of thing in, in, in East Village. And I didn't expect to get a job there. I just sort of was like, hey, are you hiring? I don't really have any experience. I don't know anything about cocktails. And my friend was like, yeah, sure, why not? Uh, <laughs> and so I just sort of snuck in right before the bar really got to be where it is now in terms of being one of the cocktail destinations. Back then it was really more of like an industry neighborhood, you know, lots of like chefs and, you know, restaurant people and bar people would come in, but it wasn't like this overrun kind of thing that's in, you know, that that's, that's everywhere. That's sort of on everyone's bucket list when they come to New York city. So it was a lot. Is it still easier. open? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, um, in your mouth listeners, if you don't know, and you're not, um, in New York City proper, PDT uh, stands for Please Don't Tell, correct? Right? Yes, that's Please one don't. of the one of the one of the things. But one of the it's, things it stands for. But um, so it's through a phone booth yeah. in a hot dog shop, mm-hmm. and so you need a reservation, and there's like a way to get in, and it's a delicious hot dog shop. Oh my God, Crip Dogs delicious. I haven't been there in a million years. Yeah. Oh my god. You just took me way back. <laughs> so you got your start at PDT and how yeah. did it how did it evolve from there? Like how, take me through the journey of like well, I need a job and now I'm in this fancy speakeasy to I'm like this mix, the mixologist to the stars. Here. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh yeah, I mean it, it it was it was like an industry kind of insidery haunt, so to speak. And unbeknownst to me, there was someone uh, who was a writer for the New York Times was sitting in front of me one one night, and I didn't know anything about anybody. I had no idea, and I was just sort of rattling off about something. And then then someone described, then this person described me as a courtly bartender, and then sort of mentioned what I was talking about and I put the pieces together and I was like wow courtly is like one of probably the best euphemisms for gay I've heard ever since so mm-hmm. I was the courtly bartender uh, <laughs> and so I was like huh this is interesting like I've would have never dreamed I would have even be obliquely mentioned in the New York Times uh, through bartending and then uh, I got like a couple weeks later maybe a month or so into you know Beyond that, I was there was a photo shoot for the New York Times, and they were doing this like story about bar bar regulars who went out and had this like nerdy uh, cocktail thing, and I just happened to be the bartender there, and I got this like really awesome picture in the New York Times, and like my name was printed. I think I had a quote or two, um, and that was like pretty just pretty good validation for like, huh, maybe this is something that it's worth pursuing. It's not just like a placeholder job for while I was studying for the LSATs, which is what I was doing. Um, And, yeah, it just sort of quickly... Something I ended up being really good at, even though I'm, like, pretty antisocial and, like, don't don't love being around people or talking to people. Uh, It's just sort of this interesting kind of stage transformation where you just become this other person, and I was really good at 
at that, and it was it was fun. And uh, I mean, it doesn't hurt that it was like probably one of the best places to work as a bartender in the world. So, you know, that helped a lot. And then um, I just sort of saw it as uh, I quickly kind of reconfigured my concept of my of my career path around this idea of, of working in the restaurant industry and just started studying and reading books and you know just really diving into it and sure enough you know I got a, I got a job uh, my other my other bartending job I split my time between there and Momofuku Sambar I was there twice a week and then that restaurant group was was pretty small when I joined and it was growing really rapidly and so I sort of hitched my hitched my wagon, you know, to whatever the whatever the, whatever the metaphor is, uh, there, and really just grew with the company and went from you know just being one of the bartenders who was working at one of their restaurants to being the bar director uh, for the group. And I, I opened like ten restaurants and trained tons of staff and developed menus and did all you know just basically went from you know basically went from like you know, quote like just a bartender to to being kind of like upper middle management <laughs> at the company and that was sort of like what was the main kind of uh launch pad would you say yeah well yeah it was sort of like the it was like the the core of my of my active restaurant career was was being kind of like the person who trained the bartenders and the person who wrote the the manuals and who, you know, t- tasted all the spirits and, and did all the, the press and everything. Uh, and that, I think that set me up really, really well to be uh, my own kind of entity after that. You know, I, I worked there from, from 2009 to 2018. And in 2018, I started my own company. I started, I started a nonprofit and I also wrote a book. Uh, and all those things were informed and enabled by the time that I spent working at PDT in Momofuku. That's incredible. It seems to me that, especially with mixology and cocktails, we go through, it's like this never-ending wave that kind of like, it's like craft cocktails, and then it's kind of like we, we, we get a breath, right? And then it's like, oh, this new, this new speakeasy's opened, speakeasy has opened, right? And they have like smoking cocktails, so everybody's going there for <laughs> a hot minute, right? And then it kind of like subsides, and then all of a sudden we get another wave, right? And then like everybody's like running around for who has like the best espresso martinis, and then like I feel like, I feel like it's like Mixology is like the beach, you know, with the with the water mm. just coming coming in and receding back and forth. But one of my favorite things about you and seeing a lot of like these mixologists out here, because I don't know, in my mind and some mixologists that I've worked with just in my front of house hospitality career of 23 years, you know, I often think of like the the hipster bearded handlebar mustached like broy ish you know bartender that's gonna like <laughs> get like you know that that's kind of annoyed to be there but like kind of loves his job. I was I was yeah, it, I was kind of that a little. Uh, or were you because because <laughs> that's not the yeah. vibe you give the vibe. Well, the vibe I've, from just doing the little bit of research I've done is that like you know it's 
it's this queer presence. It's the lipstick. It's the the dyed hair. It's the it's the out and proud. Is that not present in in or was that not present beforehand? I mean, it was. I was always. Uh, I was always like this, uh, so to speak. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, I was definitely like a bit more like assimilated, a bit more like passing uh, in the beginning of my career, especially a PDT. Not because it felt like I needed to, but just because that was the that was like the vibe of 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 the place, you know. And we had a uniform, kind of. And um, if you look at these, like what the picture of me from the times from like two thousand and eight or whatever, it's like. I, mean, I just kind of look like just some guy, you know, I, I don't have the hair is my normal color, you know, natural color, whatever, uh, no lipstick, you know, I'm wearing kind of like black jeans maybe and like a vest, you know, tweed kind of vesty kind of thing. And then, and, that, and then I think it took a while to, to sort of like assimilate what I had learned from, from the people who, who trained me in terms of like, not necessarily being grumpy. I was never like a grumpy bartender. I don't think, but it's more of just like, there's that stereotypical image of the bartender who is like, you go to their bar and you ask them for a recommendation or you ask them for like a, a drink a certain way. And rather than just being like obliged and getting whatever it is that you're asking for, the bartender is like, well, like here's why what you asked me for is bullshit and you should actually have something else. Like I was that guy. Like I did that. And then I realized that was a lot of work and I was like, you should say yes. And it just like makes your life so much easier. So, Mm-hmm. I, I was that for the beginning. And I think part of what kind of cracked open the the facade or whatever, the, the kind of lavish identity <laughs> visually that I that I currently inhabit was working work, working at Sambar, which is such a totally different vibe from PDT. Like it's talking about this is like a place where you know, people had like tattoos up their face and they had you know, crazy hair and they had people just look so different. It was like this very like, I mean, for lack of a better word, like hipster, hipster vibe, like hipster East village, you know, late aughts vibe. And so I was making these drinks that were just as kind of serious or, you know, had the same kind of mixological, so to speak, integrity as, as anything else. But I was like wearing rainbow shorts and like a crazy t-shirt and, and looking ridiculous, like on purpose. And that was kind of like the, the servers and the front of house staff at, at those restaurants, like really tried to like put on a show for people, you know, it was very like CNBC and sort of, sort of situations that, mm-hmm. that sort of like fed back into my PDT thing. And I started wearing like colorful pants and I would wear the suspenders and the bow tie. And like, that would be my, my whole thing where I'd just be kind of a dandy, um, and then it just sort of really spiraled out of control from there. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, this podcast is over four years old, and you know we've heard a lot of stories on here. You know, the the the, the restaurant industry is laden with homosexuality. You know, of all Indeed. of all sorts and colors, but yet somehow, somehow, um, there is this whole toxic homophobic thing that happens at the same time. Yeah. You know? It's confusing. It's, it's very, very confusing, <laughs> right? As someone who's lived it and as someone who hears these stories as we, right. And the audience hear these stories quite often on this podcast, right. The importance of, of being able to tell our stories and be free, especially in that space without having 
to be like, well, you know, so-and-so doesn't really understand what this is, or so-and-so is just making terrible jokes, right, or, like, sexual advances because, like, he thinks it's fun, but this really isn't fun for me, or, you know? And so um, finding finding people, right, and maybe maybe now it's a little easier, especially after Me Too took down, you know, some of the worst of the worst out there, but, I mean... Having having the space, having the space to be free and creating that space, because I still know I still know a bunch of people right deep in deep in, you know, toxic restaurant culture. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and I just don't see it going away as as quickly as I'd I'd like to see it for for these people that a have been on this podcast have not been on this podcast and whatnot. So when I see somebody like you just living living like this and doing what you do and and shining and being at the top of your game, you know, I th I think the visuals are important. I think the story is important. You know, what's what's this experience like for you? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, one of the things that was great about PDT is that there was such a reverence in the space for, for the bartenders. And, you know, I never worked on the floor. I never worked at the door. Uh, and so when, by the time people got to me, they were like very primed. They, they'd wait, waited three hours. You know, they'd heard about this place. They'd been like planning a trip for years or whatever, you know? Um, and then also like, you're physically separated between like the bar and the, and the people who are, who are sitting in front of you are like three, two, three, two and a half, three feet away. And, um, you know, you're kind of like insulated. So it gave you a lot of um, opportunities to kind of, you could, you could be a jerk to someone, you could tell them, you know, you could, you could be, you know, you, could, you kind of could be who you were and you didn't have to worry too much about people like treating you like, like shit. Whereas like if you were just sort of out there on the floor and most of the people who worked the floor were, were women, um, there was a different kind of vulnerability there. So I, kind of gave me a bit of a, a bit of freedom to sort of play around with uh, my own expression, like my own professional development and making drinks and being the way that I was. So, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to say, you know, where kind of like where the, that comfort necessarily came from, you know, but in Momofuku, you were out there in, in, in with people. So it's, it's not necessarily, this doesn't translate always, but uh, I think that there was a there was a luxury of working at these very hallowed places where the people who were there or kind of had a built-in respect for you just off the bat and whatever you kind of happened to look like or happened to act was kind of like they were already in the framing of it being something that they would accept. Um, and you br yeah, you yeah, bring up I'm gonna interrupt you real quick. Um, you bring up an interesting point, which I never realized, even in my time bartending, that like the bar acting like a barrier, yeah, you know, between you and them. So like there's a, there's almost, you know, there's this like wall that you can just, mm -hmm. you know, walk away and exactly. and yeah. have this thing as opposed to being, you know, more vulnerable just being at the table and at the women so close, you know, yeah. even though you're still close, but there's this physical thing between you. Mm -hmm. Totally. So, yeah, I, I just never thought of it that way. So, like, you just bring up this interesting point that I wanted to highlight. Yeah, I think about that a lot. Um, 
and how and how easy that made things. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, before we cut out to the break, you know, we we talk about being out and proud, and obviously this is a big gay food podcast, and we are on the heels of Pride. And a question I really love to ask around this time of my guests is, what does Pride mean to you? <sighs> Uh, that's a good question. Big sigh. Big yeah. sigh. <laughs> <laughs> Is it that exhausting? Uh, I mean, maybe. I don't know. It's just for, for me, like, I think that I had this interesting mix of never not being being gay you know i'd never like we I, I never like I, I had like same-sex attraction before i knew that men like couldn't get pregnant you know i was like five years old something like that you know it never it never was something that had to dawn on me and occur to me so it always felt very normal but at the same th- it's the same time it's like you can't help but have um a pretty good amount of internalized homophobia so it's this interesting mix of like I, I wish that we didn't have to have these sort of pride coming out narratives because it should just be baked into our into our society. So it's like it's wonderful to have it, and you know, it's a it's a great like celebration. But then at the end of the day, it's like the reason why these are necessary is because of so much oppression and so much violence against us that it's like always a mixed bag for me. Where I'm like this is great. This is awesome. Like people should be who they are, but then it's like, why are we, why does that even need to be said? I think, I think the audience listening to this is probably is in full agreement because I mean, why would else, why else would you be listening to a big gay podcast? But, um, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, we all know the reason why it, why it's necessary and why, and why it, um, and, and just the, the freedom of expression, you know, from being, from being, you know, oppressed for so long. And still, still yeah. things are happening to kind of like shut us down and question and and laws are being created and so on and so forth. And we, we've, we've all seen the news cycle, you know? Yeah. And if you haven't turned on your TVs, you know, it's, it's being thrown at us daily. So, so yeah, um, it's just, I think it's a, I think the question elicits a lot of really interesting and thoughtful responses every year, and it's and, and it's why I love asking it because it runs. Mm. To be cliche, it runs the full rainbow for sure. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's why I love asking it. And I think now is a great time to take John out to the break, and we're going to be back with my favorite part and your favorite part of the podcast. <laughs> Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. 
All right, John, I hope you're ready for my favorite part and the audience's favorite part of the podcast. A little something we like to call Food News Update. Food News. Honey, you ain't ready, girl. Spill the tea. News Update. New York City airport bars can't charge you $27 for a beer anymore thanks to the new food pricing rules. The fact that these people were thought they can get away with charging $27 for a beer is ridiculous. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've never had a $27 beer at, our, at an airport before, but what is the rule? Um, so apparently the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey said many prices seen in some viral social media posts were totally indefensible. And come to think of it, there used to be a gay pool party at the Grace Hotel near me here in Times Square on like Wednesday nights a long time ago. And I remember ordering like an Amstel light or something because, you know, hotel drinks are innately expensive to begin with. Right. Um, and it was, I remember it being like an $18 Amstel light. Do you know how many Amstel lights <laughs> you can buy? You can get like a case. Yeah. At least. <laughs> so last August, the Brooklyn man uh, went viral for uh, after tweeting a picture from LaGuardia Airport, uh, LaGuardia Airport restaurant um, that charged twenty seven eighty five for a single glass of Sam Adams summer ale. I mean, what? There was a bargain option. The bargain option was thirteen oh five for a Michelob Ultra. Do you know how many Michelob Ultras you could buy for thirteen dollars? You could buy zero for zero dollars. Um, yeah, you could. <laughs> <laughs> Even better. <laughs> But um, a, sec a second traveler shared a photo of a $10.90 serving of French fries from Newark. And then uh, the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey's uh, Office of Inspector General, OIG, pledged to investigate why and how those prices were so high. And so they, they deemed this totally indefensible and now have set standards of a maximum price cap for New York and New Jersey airport concessions at local street prices plus a surcharge of 10%. Hmm. I wonder who, I wonder, so that, so they're basically lowering prices, right? So I wonder who's paying for that. Paying for the lower prices? Yeah. I'm just, I always, I always, well, I'm, I'm a restaurant person through and through. So whenever I see that there's a reduced revenue, it's always has to do with reduced staffing. So I think there might be an unintended consequence of this of this of this rule coming you bring down. Up, on yeah. not to be like a Debbie Downer, but, but, <laughs> but no, honestly, uh, this is uh, listen. I try with every guest. I try to kind of bring food news that kind of cross co correlates with what they do, you know, because it makes right. it more fun and interesting that way. But I didn't even think about that. But at the same time, the markup is so ridiculous that where was the money going to begin with? Exactly. Yeah, that's another thing. You know, so, <laughs> I mean, it's probably like a thousand percent markup on on a Sam Adams summer ale, you know. Right. So, yeah. But always, I mean, lowering the prices. You yeah, makes sense. Like all of a sudden we got to cut staff because we're not making exactly enough money. Yeah. But but already we've cut the staff because or the staff True. isn't 
available to find because of the pandemic. Yeah. In addition, brand name concessions like chain restaurants and coffee shop can use other local locations of the same chain to set their prices. All right. So all in all, things are still going to be fucking expensive at the airport, but maybe a little less so. Listen, I am not here for this, and I don't think you are either, John. But, you know, I'm not telling you to pack your own little bottles of airport booze and somehow slip them in your drink because that's a federal offense or a TSA offense. But I don't know. Figure it out, y'all. Figure out how to get your booze if you need it. Is what <laughs> it's all I'm going to say. And don't get arrested. Country Croc now has its own buttery smooth Whiskey. Country Crocs cover crop whiskey. That's a really, that's a tongue twister. Country oh. Crocs cover crop whiskey is cover intended crop. to raise cover crop. Hmm. Cover crop? Yeah. <laughs> is intended to raise awareness of the sustainable farming practice. Would you oh. drink a, would you drink country crocked whiskey? Probably. Yeah. I mean, even if it tasted like margarine, like it had a margarine back. A margarine back. <laughs> <laughs> Notes of margarine. Well, you know, it's like fat washing uh, spirits is a great technique that uh, I love to do. And you could do it with all sorts of fancy things. I learned it from the Benton's Old Fashioned, which is a bacon infused whiskey old fashioned from PDT. Uh, and so this is just giving me that. And I feel like you could do butter, you could do olive oil, and I don't know what's in country crock. That's they're the ones who say they're not. I can't believe it's not butter. They're just like the butter. They're yeah. They're visually. just country crock. Yeah, they're yeah. not. I can't believe it's not butter. I can't believe well, it's not butter infused whiskey would probably be really disturbing. But like, if it's yeah. butter and it's not like super butter flavor flavory butter, you know, like if it's like the flavor of it comes from butter and not from you know esters or whatever i could actually see it being good yeah yeah um this is not what this is about at all (laughs) (laughs) one more time you just you just like told me to go fat wash which i don't know if i should be excited or offended wonderful it's a wonderful technique you know, I suffer from severe gay body dysmorphia, John. And so <laughs> well, the thing is, the is that fact- actually what happens is that the flavor gets lifted off the fat and oh. then transferred into the alcohol. So it's all the good stuff and none of the calories oh. pretty much. Oh. So it's a wonderful That's- way to get those flavors into your drinks without it. We being here greasy. at yeah. In Your Mouth are not only ridiculous, but also educational. You see that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Actually, Country Croc is doing something really cool here. And basically, um, they are um, hammering home their commitment to the farmers. So the brand has teamed up um, with this, like, plant-based product, right? Whiskey. And so the whole deal is um, to promote cover crops because uh, it's a sustainable farming practice. And I just learned this today myself in is the that sense of... Plant- like soybeans to like make it to like rebuild the soil after they harvest it from other stuff. Yes, but I, I think country crock is made from soybeans, right? So uh, um, it's so if they keep planting it, the soy uh, uh, the farmers struggle with soy 
soil fatigue from repeated <laughs> harvests resulting in erosion and lack of nutrients. So then they, so the whole idea is to plant cover crops like cereal rye, which is what this whiskey is made out of. Oh. And it replenishes the soil and like increases water retention. And so then, and like reduces greenhouse gas emissions. And so it's a really good thing that Country Croc is doing here. And with the cover crops, they've, they're making this whiskey. Isn't that cool? I love that. Yeah. Like, I'm here for it. And I mean, it's like, it's 40 bucks a pop for some, for some cute whiskey that you probably sell on eBay for like $1,000 because it's, it's branded from Country Croc. <laughs> I want to see the bottle. Is it like, did it come in a tub or is it like in a glass bottle? Um, (laughs) Did you just say come in a tub? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) What? Hello? No, it's a, it just looks like a whiskey bottle with, um, and it says cover crop on it and it has like rolling fields of Kansas in black and white. It looks like, it looks like something that you would, yeah, you, you would see at, um, you know, backlit, at like some fancy bar, like PD team. You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> I think we're here for this. <laughs> I mean, I'd be here for this. Why not? Like they're trying to do something good. It's sustainable, you know, and and it was a cute idea to help support um, the farmers that um, they employ and educate sustainable farming. So I'm completely here for this. And last but not least... Uh, John, people were totally willing to get a free Duke's mayonnaise tattoo in Richmond. Wow. (laughs) I've never had Duke's mayonnaise. I love mayonnaise, though. You know what? A funny story. Um, I have a friend named Kathy, and she went down to get her Amazon packages one day, like a few months ago, and she had an Amazon package, and when she opened it, it was an extra large bottle of Duke's mayonnaise. (laughs) That she did not order when weed high or drunk, and she couldn't trace it and couldn't figure out <laughs> who sent it to her. No one has come forward. That's really menacing just to get mayonnaise in the mail. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I said, well, it's good mayonnaise. It's supposed to be delicious. So, I mean, I've heard. I don't know if I've ever had Duke's mayonnaise. I don't think I've ever had it. Yeah. Everybody says, "Well, mayonnaise is controversial. Are you a mayonnaise girl? Or are we not? Uh, are we not very mayonnaise girl? Yes, like me yeah. too. Give me all the yeah. white and creamy, for sure. But like, <laughs> I mean, people are really offended by the sight of mayonnaise. I never understood that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, hey, I, more for I me. Don't, I don't get it either. But um, you know, whether you're getting, whether you're, whether you're getting ominous large jars of Duke's mayonnaise <laughs> in the mail or not. You know, last Friday the 13th, uh, Duke's randomly uh, announced on Instagram that they were partnering with Yellowbird Tattoo to fill free tattoo spots. And so they got over a thousand requests just to be on a wait list. And they got a choice of... Um, 70 people got a choice to be inked with one of these free Dukes related designs that like they couldn't change. It was all it was all flash, but old school tattoo art. It's what I call like Coney Island art. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm sure there's like 
a better, there's an official name for this kind of tattoo art that I don't really know. But um, it either had to be placed on an arm or a leg, and the size of the tattoos couldn't be altered from how they were drawn on the flash sheet. And there was, like, you know, somebody holding, like, a knife full of mayonnaise with tomatoes. There was, like, a duke's skull. There was... And do you get, like, free mayonnaise for life? That would be nice, right? Right. I mean, there was a snail with a jar of dukes instead of a shell. Or the words, <laughs> or the words death before Hellman's. Amazing. Wow. <laughs> I would get one of these tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> Especially a death before Hellman's. Even though I'm a big wow. Hellman's fan. That's hysterical. <laughs> I don't know about you. I think we're here for this. And I think that's the best way to end. Food news update. (laughs) A little something to carry you through the rest of your day, John. Yeah, just (laughs) visions of mayonnaise. Visions of mayonnaise tattoos. You know? I mean... (laughs) (laughs) Visions of mayonnaise dancing in your head. Oh my goodness, John! I want to uh, dive into before we close out your your fabulous non-alcoholic um, cocktail, Proto. What made you make a non-alcoholic beverage? Uh, there were a lot of reasons, but mostly because it was difficult. Um, it's really easy to make a drink with alcohol that tastes great and people love. You know, it's setting aside the fact that alcohol is generally enjoyable for people to drink um Mm -hmm. it's very great at carrying flavor like i said like with the like you can't infuse butter into water but you can infuse butter into whiskey because of the alcohol so it carries flavors really well um and so it's very easy to put together a complex stable you know shelf stable uh drink that 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 is enjoyable but if you don't have alcohol to rely on um, both from a flavor perspective and you know, functionally and with all that other stuff, then it becomes really difficult to, 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 to do right. Uh, and it was something that not a lot of people had done right back when I started doing this, like like many, like four years ago. Um, and so I just saw it as a challenge. And I had been really interested in non-alcoholic drinks for, for a long time, like I said, for all the technical reasons, but also from like a hospitality and accessibility standpoint, you know, not being able to serve... Something for everybody seems like a pretty big uh, oversight. You know, if someone comes in and they're like, well, what do you have with that alcohol? And they're like, oh, well, just some sparkling water. You know, it's kind of sad. Or like soda from a gun. Yeah, exactly. So so it was about giving people options and and taking all the things I had learned (coughs) in my bartending career and applying them to something that you could put into a bottle and give to anyone. Yeah, I think, you know, there's um there's a big, I don't want to call it a trend, a movement. Um, there's a big movement with non-alcoholic um, spirits and drinks uh, happening, I've seen, and happening for a while. Um, it's is it is it here to stay? I mean, I know you own I think so. this business. Yeah. And, and I, I don't think it's ever going to be bigger than, you know, alcohol, but I think that there's a lot of space for people... Uh, to have uh, brands that that solve problems for people, I absolutely it's a agree. Cocktail or wine or whatever it is, um, 
and and I think that yeah I think it's a it's a it's a it's a self kind of replicating or whatever self supporting trend where you create more brands they give more ideas to people people kind of take the take the category more seriously and then that feeds back in and so I think you'll just see it um, see it sustained and it's probably not going to go anywhere yeah I, it's not going to go I, the way I, back I, to be a charcoal let's just put it that way yeah well, hello <laughs> <laughs> thank you for bringing us full circle <laughs> I, I, uh, back in, in when doing like, you know, um, booze free January and whatnot was like all the rage and I'd still be going out and, you know, a lot of like the gay bars don't even have non-alcoholic beers. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Like we did. I remember doing a, a, a specific tour of all the gay bars to see which one which ones carried non-alcoholic anything that wasn't soda or water? And it was like two. Yeah. And even and even one of them, they were like, yeah, I, we think we have that. And they had to like dive deep for it. And now I've seen, you know, years later, I've seen a couple of bars throwing um, non-alcoholic nights, like non-alcoholic parties mm-hmm. for like, or sober parties, hello, uh, for for the sober community. And sponsored by, you know, a non-alcoholic like spirit brands. Yeah. So I, I think that. yeah, I absolutely love that and I think I think it's a missed market at, at least within the um, the gay bar community that uh that this isn't happening more, you know? Because mm-hmm. there is a whole sober community yeah. whether whether it's a a life choice, a necessity, or like you know, you just don't like booze. Um, that is be, is untapped, you know. And I'm I'm surprised that more of these parties and more of these events and more of this isn't available out there. It's um, you know, I'm I'm staring at your at your pro two website and and, and <laughs> it's very um, it's it just captivated me for a moment because there's a lot of moving things. It's very pretty. <laughs> It's very, very pretty, and I can't wait to get my hands on some. It looks delicious. What's next for you? Uh, gosh, I wrote another. I'm writing another book right now, so it's coming out next year. Um, and that's yeah, and then just more of the same. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Well, um, tell the kids all all the social handles, including the OnlyFans and the all Twitter. <laughs> And where they can find you, where they can support you, um, give them all the things. Yeah, I think the best thing is probably just johndeberry.com. I actually update my, my website pretty, pretty regularly, which is kind of surprising for me because I have no discipline. But yeah, johndeberry.com. And then on Twitter and Instagram, it's jnd3001. That's right, and I will link that out in the liner notes for sure. In your mouth, listeners, um, a big shout-out and thank you to John for coming on and giving me of his time today. It was so special, and I'm so grateful to have you here, John. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. So much. Other than that, get into John DeBerry. Go show him all the love. Go out there and, you know, this would be, the bottle's beautiful too, a proto, 
Um, so uh, this would be a great thing to bring to like you know mm-hmm. all the summer all the summer events. You know, exactly. I think this would I think this would go over really well. You know, at like at, as something like really cool and interesting to bring to your summer events, as opposed to being like a basic bitch and just bringing some Casamigos or some. <laughs> Rose, guys, like let's let's think outside of the box, y'all. Other than that, um, get into the Pride merch. Like I said, all proceeds for for the months of May, June, and July are going to be donated to the Alley Fournay Center. And we put it took a lot of time and a lot of work to put that all together. So go check it out at themunios.com forward slash mouth merch. And other than that, um, Happy Pride, y'all. Pride is uh, next month. We are going to be partying the month down. Look for special Pride content. And as always, thank you for listening to In Yo